All right, you may be seated if you haven't already. Good morning to everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, if my mom is listening today, I uh, just want to tell you I love you. Uh, thankful for a godly mom. Uh, thankful for the covenant signing today. Tracy, thankful for you. Drew, thankful for you. Thankful for all of our wonderful kids. Thankful for my church family. And thankful most of all this morning for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have so much uh, to be thankful for. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer. God, my heart overflows this morning with thanksgiving simply because of who you are as we sung this morning. What a friend. What a savior. What a Lord we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we're so unworthy, we're so undeserving, but yet you would send your son to save your people, to rescue us from ourselves, our sinfulness, our wickedness, our rebellion, God, ultimately against you. And so we want to say thank you, and we pray today for your gospel to go forth. We pray for a work, a move of your spirit today. For those of us in the faith to continue to transform us, to sanctify us into the image of Christ. And for someone listening today that is not in the faith, that today God would be the day that they're found. Jesus, you came to seek and to save the lost. So we pray for the salvation of souls today as well. Speak. O oh Lord, through the truth, the power, and the authority of your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. You guys know from last week, we started our May uh, month of missions, uh, specifically talking about praying and fasting. Doug shared something last week that really stuck with me, and it was right off the bat. Our passion... Uh, as a church, is the gospel. And the fruit of the gospel is missions. Missions has, is, and should always be in the DNA of our church. We have a missionary God who has, is, and will save a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's nothing more important this morning than the glory of God filling the earth. This is the heart of missions. A key question in life is what is the ultimate end of things? And Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor, American pastor, said this, All that is ever spoken of in the scripture as an ultimate end of God's work is summed up in this simple phrase. The glory of of God. You see, missions, it's God-centered. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Colossians 1, 16 says, All things were created through him and for him. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, my own sake, I do it. 
for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. John Piper in the great book, Let the Nations Be Glad, said this, All of creation, all of redemption, all of history is designed by God to display God. That is the ultimate goal of the church. As long as God is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, or dishonored among any peoples of the world, there is a reason for missions. Therefore, there's still a reason for missions today. Now, where do prayer and fasting fit in? Well, these are God-given means of grace for his gospel to go to the ends of the earth for the glory of his name, for God to accomplish what only he can accomplish. Because you see, prayer and fasting really is about dependence upon God. Fasting is an abstaining from food or whatever else the Lord may have us to abstain from for the furtherance of his kingdom. And so now we're ready to read Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 14. So let's read the passage together. Starting in verse 1, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, oppressing or, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then shall 
Then you shall take the light in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, a little bit of the context. I know Pastor Doug went over this, so I'm not going to say too much. But Isaiah was prophesying in the 8th and 7th century during four different kings of the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom. The central theme in Isaiah is God and his glory. Isaiah, his name even meant, means the Lord God is my salvation. You guys know the story of our Isaiah. God graciously uh, saved him as he was born on the side of the road. And that's where he got his name from, of the Lord God is our salvation. Will the gracious purposes of God be defeated by Judah's sin? No way. God will establish his kingdom through the Messiah. As you read through the book of Isaiah, you see over and over of the prophecies of the suffering servant, the Messiah to come. We know the Messiah is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though God's judgment will reduce his people to a remnant, and a remnant, by the way, Pastor Doug referenced this briefly, it's a small amount that's left over. It's a remainder. Now, Mandy, I thought about you and all the sewing and all the fabric. A remnant is that little piece that's left over at the end. Some may think, well, that's kind of worthless. That's useless. And so when we think about the, the nation of Israel, this physical nation, there was this little remnant that God chose for himself of his people that repented and trusted in him alone for salvation. And God has, is, and will be glorified for by the remnant, those that trust in him for salvation. His final purpose is the joyful triumph of his grace and his kingdom. And so now in verse 1, Pastor Doug preached on this, that Isaiah was to declare the sin and transgressions of God's people. He was to shout it out loud like a trumpet. And Pastor Doug, I won't make the trumpet sound again. That was very good last week, by the way. But God had Isaiah to trumpet out the truth of his word, his message. And then in verse 2, in the midst of their sin, they were seeking after God as if nothing was wrong. They were on those old, worn-down paths. And from the outside, it may seem as if everything was okay. But when you look at verse 2, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And you remember Pastor Doug talked about their perception of themselves was really not true. They were fakers. They were pretenders. They were hypocrites. And so even though outwardly, like the Pharisees, they seemed okay, they were morally okay, their hearts were dead and corrupt before the Lord. And then in verse 3, the people are like, God, we fasted. Don't you see us in the midst of our fasting? And God answers them, you're fasting to please yourself. Even as they're doing all these things before the Lord, they were oppressing or mistreating others. Now, let me talk a little bit about biblical fasting and prayer, and then we'll really dig into verses 4 through 7. Biblical fasting and prayer really is about God. It's about dependence upon God. 
it really should be done to love God and to love others. Fasting is an abstaining from something, typically food, but we're going to see today in this passage, it's not always food. It's the restraining of oneself from doing or enjoying something. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but that's another example from the scripture of married couples restraining from relations for there to be a time of prayer, a time of dependence upon the Lord for whatever the situation, the case may be. What are biblical reasons to fast? And let me say on the front end, this is not exhaustive. We don't have time to go through a whole lesson on fasting. But some of the things that you see in scripture, people would fast to express grief over loss. It could be the loss of a loved one. You know, when we think about Mother's Day, it is a happy day, but for some, it's a very sad day. Because it's the reality of the loss of someone very special. And, you know, when you have somebody, they say, you know what, I just don't really feel like eating right now when they're going through something difficult, especially the loss of a loved one. Because when you're grieving and you're mourning, you typically don't feel like eating. And so sometimes people fast in that way. Fasting also shows one's seriousness when appealing to God about an important decision. Ezra 8.23, Ezra was fasting for God's safety and the protection of God's people as the exiles were heading back to Jerusalem. Fasting can be genuine repentance or brokenness over sin. It's interesting, as I was studying this, the only fast that's specifically commanded in Scripture, now we see lots of evidences of God's people fasting, but the only one that's commanded is the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, 29 through 31, when the priests would go in and they had the two goats, the scapegoat and then the one goat that was sacrificed and the blood uh, placed there on the altar. And the, the great high priest would go in of the Holy of Holies. Of God's people were to afflict themselves of this preparing of the washing, the cleansing of their sin before the Lord. We also see in the early church the fasting as they were setting aside missionaries. Pastor Doug, you preached on that. Acts chapter 13, they set aside Paul and Barnabas. What did the church do? They were fasting. They were praying. Acts chapter 14, as they set aside elders, they fasted and they prayed. And so there's all kinds of examples in Scripture of praying and fasting, but you need to understand the fasting, the praying, is for the glory of God. It really is about loving God and loving others. But how quickly are we, as sinners, to make it about who? We make it about ourselves. And we can easily become like the Pharisees, can't we? They wanted everybody to see while they fasted. And Jesus said, no, that's not right. All right, so our first truth today, let's go back to Isaiah 58, verses 4 through 7. The first truth that we'll see in our text is praying and fasting can be sinful and selfish. Praying and fasting can be sinful and selfish. Interesting, isn't it? Two good things, disciplines of God's grace, can actually be sinful or selfish if used for the wrong motives. Look at verse 3. Why were they fasting? They were fasting to manipulate God. 
They were fasting to impress God. Let me go ahead and tell you on the front end, there's nothing that you can say or do to impress God. He's not impressed by me. He's not impressed by you. He's God. We're not going to impress God. But they really wanted to manipulate God to basically do what they wanted God to do. They were fasting for their own pleasure. They were still oppressing their workers. Look at verse 4. They were fighting. They were quarreling while they're fasting. I mean, think about that. They're supposedly abstaining you know, from food to be right in close relationship with God, and they're fighting. Fasting and fighting uh, do not go together. They were hitting with the wicked fists. You know, I, I tried to dig into that. Couldn't really find much besides they were fighting. They were arguing. So even as they're, they're fasting, they, they couldn't get along. And they were mistreating others. It's kind of like, you know, I tried to think about a practical application for us, and we probably all have been guilty of this. So let me go ahead and say that on the front end. It's kind of like when we come to you know, a worship service on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day, and we fight all the way to church, and then we fight all the way home from church. But while we're here, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. All things are good. And then in our homes, it's, ah! We're stuck on ourselves. That's probably something of that magnitude is what was going on with God's people. Wearsby said this, the people were lifting their hands to worship, but their hands were stained with blood. Look at verse 5. This is not the kind of fasting that God chooses. God, he's not impressed with this false humility. He knows our hearts. He knows my heart while I'm up here preaching today. He knows your heart as you're listening. He knows the hearts of all. They were bowing their heads in prayer like reeds blowing in the wind. And so if you can think about a reed blowing, you're on a canal, Lake Okeechobee blowing in the wind. And so they're bowing their heads. It looks like they're independence upon the Lord. They were wearing their sackcloth. They were wearing their ashes, which when you study scripture, those were symbols of grief and symbols of repentance. But as this text has made very clear, they're pretending. They're fakers. They're being hypocritical. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, are there things in our hearts and our lives where we're being hypocritical before the Lord? And probably to some extent, that's true of all of us. That's why we're continuing or continually to be living in repentance and faith and trust and confession of our sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're constantly going before the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. We're constantly going before the cross because we constantly need forgiveness, right? We don't want to be hypocritical. We don't want to be fakers and their hearts are not right in this passage and for some of them maybe they're not even regenerate they're still dead in their trespasses and their sins and so the end of verse 5 look at what God says will, the, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord do you think this is really acceptable to me guys 
religious ritual that we do for our own self-glory and for our own gain, let me, let me be very clear. It's an abomination to the Lord. It's disgusting before God. God is not impressed with the fakeness of so-called religion. Fasting had become an idol for the Israelites. It was being done to be seen by others and for self-gain. They were religious. They were pious. They were moral, like the Pharisees we see in the New Testament. But they were mistreating their fellow Israelites for their self-gain. God was not pleased with them and their religious activity. You could go to Amos chapter 5. We don't have time this morning. But the, the prophet Amos, there's a lot of parallels. They're on their ivory couches and houses. And they're just sitting and they're doing their thing and they're mistreating people at the gate and the poor and all these things that you see in the book of Amos and they think they're okay before the Lord Isaiah 1.4 says they were a sinful nation of people laden with iniquities they have forsaken the Lord they had despised the Holy One of Israel and they were utterly estranged I think uh, Pastor Doug you used the word they had defected from the truth it wasn't about the glory of God. Matthew chapter 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Everglades Baptist Church, may we learn from this passage, we can never make this church about ourselves. This church is about the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Amen? And we're always having to guard our hearts to not give in to idols. So, praying and fasting, religious activity can be sinful and can be selfish. Let's go to the second truth, verses 6 and 7. The second truth is we need the gospel to change our sinful hearts. We need the gospel to change our sinful hearts. Then praying and fasting will be God-exalting, which we'll get to that in the third truth. But we need the gospel to change our hearts. You know, let's read 6 and 7 again, just to get back in the text. Is not this the fast that I choose? So God is now going to say, this is the fast that I give, I choose. And he says this, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Now, it's easy for us to read that passage and think, okay, I just need to love others and then I'll be right and I'll be okay with God. But you guys know just as well as I do, apart from Jesus Christ, we're not going to live that way. 
we need a heart change. God has to regenerate the heart. We've talked about this many, many times. We need God to soften our heart. We need God to give us a new heart. And then we need God to continue to transform our hearts and sanctify our hearts. The putting away of the old man, the putting away of sin, and the putting on of Christ. And Pastor Jim, as I really thought about this, you know who this passage reminded me of, verses 6 and 7? It reminded me of Jesus, the suffering servant. Here's why. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? Not too far. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Speaking of Jesus, he's the fulfillment of this passage. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. The Bible proves that to us. Go to Luke chapter 4. Verses 16 through 21. And by the way, that passage sounds very, very similar to verses 6 and 7 in Isaiah 58. But when you go to Luke chapter 4, Jesus is on the scene, his public ministry. He's ushered in his kingdom. And he would go to the synagogue and he would preach and he would teach. He got this scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Look at Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So Jesus has gone in, and stands up to read, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that sound familiar? It should. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. But then look at what he does in verse 20. He rolls up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. By the way, all of our eyes should be fixed on Christ this morning. Look at what he says in verse 21. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the chosen one. We've been talking through this of the gospel of Mark. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 61. And when we read Isaiah 58, if we think, you know what, okay, I just need to love people and then I'm going to be right with God. God's going to be impressed with me. Wrong. There's no one good. No, not one. Only Christ can do that. And when we bow our knees and bow our hearts, when we repent of our sin and we trust in Christ alone, then yes, out of us flows the waters, the living waters. We then are able to love God and to love others and to live out the gospel. This is why Mark 1.15, what did Jesus say? Repent and believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not about our religion. 
It's not about what we do. It's about Christ. It's the gospel transforming us from the inside out. And then, yes, missions flows out of that. That's the second truth. May our prayer this morning be like David in Psalms 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let's go to the third truth. Back to Isaiah 58. Also in verses 6 and 7. So, once you've been transformed by Christ, the grace of God, the love of God, the work of the cross, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, now the third truth Genuine praying and fasting is centered on God. Loving God and loving others. That also should sound familiar, right? Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Look back at verse 6 there in Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? So he, he's going to lay it out there. And remember, I told you on the front end, not all fasting is from food. Now, it normally is. It normally is from food and water. But we're going to see from this passage, God's talking about abstaining from basically self for the glory of God and the good of others. Look at what he says in verse 6. Loose the bonds of wickedness. That means the oppression of people. People are never to be treated like animals. We are always to fight against injustices and inhumanities. To some extent, we don't have all the details, but you can go to Jeremiah, you can go to other places in the Bible. God's people were treating their own people as slaves. And I've been reading through the book of Leviticus, and God specifically told his people, do not ever treat your own people like slaves. That's what they were doing. They've got to loose these bonds of wickedness, how they're treating one another. Look at verse 6 also. Undo the straps of the yoke. The yoke was a crossbar that was used to control an animal or a prisoner. They needed to lighten the burden, how they were treating their laborers, their servants, their employees. By the way, application for us, if you're a boss, it matters how you treat your employees. And by the way, the flip side could be said, if you're one of the employees, it matters how you respect and work for the glory of God or towards your boss. So they were mistreating the people. Look at verse 6. It also says, let the oppressed go free. And then it says, break every yoke. There was just mass mistreatment of God's people. That was going on and God was not pleased. But hear me say this. While this was going on, what were they doing? They were praying. They were fasting. They were doing all their religious activities just like the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. And when you read Matthew 23, what does Jesus say to the Pharisees? Woe, 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 woe. Judgment, judgment, judgment judgment you're an abomination you're like a tomb you look nice on the outside but you're filled with dead man's bones Isaiah couldn't be any more clear in chapter 58 God is not pleased look at verse 7 
he tells them, share your bread with the hungry. Again, true, genuine love of God, will, an overflow will be how you treat people. Provide them with food. Fasting here is to go without so that someone else will have. Somebody comes to your house. You choose to not eat so that they have something to eat. Bring the homeless poor into your house. Provide them with shelter. The Israelites were living in a time of prosperity. I've already talked about that. Nice houses, ivory couches, and beds. They were drinking wine with little or no concern for the poor man. Verse 7, cover the naked. Verse 7, hide not yourself from your own flesh and your own relatives. Even love those tough relatives, Israelites. There's application probably for us today, isn't there? We are to love our own families. Now, I will say this. Now, this is definitely an application of the text. Well, this is for my mom. You know, when I read this passage, I know you guys don't really know my mom, but this has been my mom for the 40, 48 years of my life. And she's been married to my dad for 56 years now. And I still watch her just live out the gospel. This is what a godly life looks like, right? It's the dying of yourself for the glory of God and the good of others. A lot of cross-references. I'm just going to read them because we're about out of time. Deuteronomy 15.11 says this. Deuteronomy 15.11, There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your, ha your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Proverbs 21.13, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. James 1.27 in the New Testament, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's how God was commanding, calling his people to live in verses 6 and 7. Genuine prayer, genuine fasting will always be about loving God and loving others. It's a big deal, so what? What does that mean for us today? Practical application. Number one, our lives should reflect the glory of God. John Piper in Let the Nations Be Glad said this, God's aim is that his glory be openly reflected in the deeds of his people. By the way, if we're even doing a nice deed for someone and it's not done for the glory of God, you know what the Bible says that is? It's sin. It's sin. It has to be done for the glory of God. Number two, our praying and fasting is to be genuinely done to fulfill Matthew 22, 37 through 40, loving God and loving others. Number three, are we willing to do without certain comforts for the furtherance of the gospel? That is genuine fasting. Let me say that again. This is the heart for those of us that are in the faith. When we think about missions, 
Pastor Jim, as he exhorts us time after time after time, listen to this question. Are we willing to do without certain comforts for the furtherance of the gospel? That is biblical fasting. For the glory of God and for his gospel to go to the ends of the earth. May we be about the gospel and missions and all that we do. May we deny ourselves for the furtherance of the gospel, by the way, within our own families, within our own community, within our own workplaces, our own schools, and yes, to the nations. Thought about Greg and Kilby, Pastor Doug, this week. I know you shared a text with some of the guys. It was awesome. I think these are the things we should be excited about. They're doing a women's Bible study. And a, a lady had been in the word and they were talking about being born again. And she said, well, that's what's happened to me. I've been born from above. I've got a new heart. And Greg and Kilby were like, yes, right? The salvation, the soul, someone that was dead in trespasses and sins. And now they've been made alive in Christ. That's what we should be praying for in our families, our workplaces. And yes, for our missionaries that go to the ends of the earth. So to close today, we've learned that praying and fasting can be sinful and selfish. We should really examine our own hearts. I should examine my heart. Are there things we need to repent of? Secondly, gospel transformation leads to genuine praying and fasting. We need the gospel. We need the gospel to be saved and we need the gospel to live out the Christian life. And that's the third truth. Genuine praying and fasting is centered on loving God and loving others. I leave you this morning with Psalms 86 verse 9. Go ahead and everybody stand. I'll read this passage. This is one of the verses that Pastor Jim started us with. So I'm going to read this and then we'll pray and then we'll sing. Psalms 86 verse 9. All the nations that you have made, God made all the nations, they shall come and they'll worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Let's pray. God, that's what it's all about. It's about your name being glorified. And God, we're thankful in your kindness and your grace that you chose to save a people for yourself right here in Okeechobee, Florida. Not just Everglades Baptist Church, but our sister churches of our brothers and sisters in the Lord here in Okeechobee that you've saved by your grace through faith in Christ for your gospel to live right, be lived out right here in Okeechobee. God, may we be found faithful to lift up the name of Jesus. And then, Father, we do thank you for the missionaries. We thank you for Greg and Kilby and John and Ari and Carlos and Lily. And I could go on and on and so many missionaries I don't even know about. The God you've called not only for the gospel to be lived out here, but you've called them to go to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And so, God, we want to praise you and we want to thank you this morning that, God, in your grace, you, you saved this lady. I don't even know who she is, but, God, you know and you've given her a new heart there in Uganda. We just want to praise you and we want to thank you for that. And, God, would you do a work of grace in our midst? in our families, in our community, in our workplaces. Oh God, show us your glory. Show us the sinfulness of our hearts. 
God, lead us to genuine repentance and faith, genuine prayer, genuine fasting for the furtherance of your gospel. And it's in your wonderful name that we pray together. Amen. And now let's remain standing and we'll sing praises to God. Join me and our crew and we're going to sing There is a Fountain. 